My name is Kim Rothwell, and this is the Return to Embodiment. In today's episode, I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with Rachel Sharon a dear friend and colleague who I greatly admire and just love to be with. And I think you'll hear that in our conversation. (laughs) Rachel has a private practice called Soma Wise in the Logan Square neighborhood of Chicago. And she is a body-centered therapist. So her training in yoga as well as sensory motor psychotherapy come into how she brings talk therapy as well as body-based experiential interventions to help clients build curiosity and resilience within the present moment. She also is a co-founder of a nonprofit in the Avondale neighborhood, InnerSense Healing Arts Collective, a community healing arts space that offers yoga and other types of reflective practices. So she teaches yoga classes there, and I highly recommend you checking them out. She brings all of her skills and awareness and compassion into her yoga classes, and her shavasanas are just delicious. Finally, she also works with an organization called Breathe, which is in its seventh year, and it is an expansive four-day festival that happens in Spencer, Indiana. It will be July 9th through the 12th this year. And it has yoga, meditation, slacklining, swimming, dancing, hanging around a fire, fire dancing. She says lots of magic happens there. So that is a brief introduction to Rachel Sharon and the work that she is putting her heart and creativity into. I'm Kim Rothwell, and I'm welcoming you to the Return to Embodiment. I'm just struck by how inner sense itself is trying to respond to this issue that we've been discussing about difference by creating, cultivating a space that is welcoming. A big part of that, you know, or how we're trying is that the facilitators that we choose or that choose us um, to join us in the space and to hold classes and workshops are um, all required to have kind of like another level of training, another level of information than what you might find in your traditional, if we're looking at yoga, you know, traditionally it's a 200 hour training. Um, but I think that what's missing for some people that had, that don't have a clinical background um, is the awareness and the information about trauma, um, the um, awareness you know, I think at this point, it's no secret that it is very widespread and um, it's not just a select few people who have these traumatic experiences, but it's actually quite the majority. Um, and so we have really put a focus at Sense on our facilitators receiving extra support and extra training with trauma information, trauma awareness, diversity, equity, and inclusion awareness, and mental health first aid. So mental health first aid is, um, you know, it's an an international organization that is doing really great work to make 
mental health first aid as um, common of a training in workplaces as first aid is, you know. And so mental health first aid is really working on training people into how to have conversations if someone's in an addiction crisis, if someone is in a, um, you know, crisis with anxiety or depression, how to get them to professional help, the questions to ask, what to say, what not to say. So a really great sort of systematic codified one day, eight hour training. That's really great. So we've brought that into our space. And then, um, you know, I run the trauma training there. Um, it's called holding space, trauma awareness and the healing arts. And, um, that is about, informing healing arts facilitators on their impact and how they move through the room, how they set up a room, um, how they choose to hold eye contact or not. All of the subtleties of really helping someone whose nervous system might be feeling a little bit dysregulated for whatever reason, soften into their nervous system a little bit more and help to more fully relax because we know that healing occurs when we're relaxed. Healing doesn't occur if we are in fight or flight mode. Um, and so if we're working with people who are coming in with trauma or who are coming in triggered from just the state of the world or the chaos of the city, um, we first have to, within ourselves, create a nervous system that helps to sort of bring theirs down a little bit. And so that's the basis of the trauma training that I offer our facilitators. It's equipping them to be conscious of their own presence and how it impacts a space and students. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And how a space itself can be an impact. You have your degree in counseling and then you have your yoga work and you kind of have integrated those two things together. And since then, um, you became interested in learning more about trauma and working with trauma. Can you talk a little bit about that journey and also what awarenesses you've gleaned from that that relate to the cultivation of space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't go into grad school wanting to dive deep into trauma work. Um, but it was a position that I had at a residential treatment center um, that I worked at a few years ago where I was hired on to do the yoga therapy work, to be a clinical yoga specialist there and to run the yoga therapy groups. And um, I knew and felt very confident of working with people with a wide array of mental health issues. Um, what I had not worked with so in depth up until that point was the level of trauma when asking someone to feel their body. So I knew it, like intellectually, I knew it for sure, you know, but because that type of um, physical trauma has not been in my own life experience, you know, and so I ended up at this residential treatment center and I went in with, you know, as a younger clinician with a really big heart and really high hopes and kind of got like a little bit knocked on my ass <laughs> pretty quickly, um, with the realization that, oh, I need to dial way, way, way back in how I'm approaching this. Um, and so that led me to uh, really need to learn more. Um, one of my mentors there named Megan Ross, um, I think saw within me 
I think probably what she saw was embodiment or an embodied practice um, and really guided me towards moving deeper into the trauma work at that facility. Um, and so I went from holding the yoga classes in a trauma-informed way into holding the trauma processing groups, you know, which was then, okay, we weren't guiding simple breath practices and simple movements, but we were um, in a space encouraged to say what had happened. Um, and again, I do feel like I got my ass handed to me, <laughs> you know, as young clinician, younger clinicians do, you know, you walk in so hopeful and you've got all of your like textbook knowledge under your belt. And then you're like in a room going, Oh gosh, like this, this is a lot to hold. And so I needed to quickly study more. Um, and Megan led me to um, look into the sensory motor psychotherapy program, which I did end up signing up for pretty quickly after that and turned out to be, you know, I did the first two levels of the three levels um, was about a three year endeavor to do those first two levels and everything that I wanted to bring together about yoga and um, healing from the space of the body rather than the mind it, it was everything that I had been like looking for basically all wrapped up into really one beautiful embodiment system. And it just like, you know, felt like home to me pretty immediately. And the teachers there felt like home to me pretty immediately. Can you describe a little bit about, um, what you received from that training? It was really through sensory motor that I got to understand deeply and give language to um, what is happening in a dis in a state of dysregulation. And it's like once I had the language to it, then I could feel into, you know, my experiences of the different types of movement that we can do in yoga, the different types of breathing than that then we can use in yoga or different meditation techniques to invoke certain nervous system responses. So, you know, I now understand through the sensory motor system that we can upregulate and we can downregulate. You know, some people absolutely need upregulation in their, you know, centering. More people, many more people need the downregulation. It just really helped to give me a lot of context and like, like, it was after doing the sensory motor level one was definitely like when I felt a lot more confident in my clinical work. I knew that what I was doing was effective enough <laughs> um, for the years before that, but it was bringing that sensory motor um, information also into my practice that made me like, oh, this is what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing and why. I could write about it clinically. I could back it up clinically. I could stand up for it. Um, and also like, you know, um, inform clients of it a lot more clearly. I think a lot of this, a lot of the work that I do, there's like a kind of a buy-in from clients because they think that they're coming to therapy and they're just going to talk through all of their problems. And that is absolutely a piece of it. I don't not do that for sure. But, um, there's a lot of psychoeducation that has to go along with why am I interested that your foot started shaking when you said that? <laughs> you know, I've gotten a lot of like, why do you care that my foot is shaking? <laughs> why would you stop me to point that out? I get a lot of that. I've had people, like I had a girl scream at me one time in a group that I was running because I paused 
her friend who was also in the group to say, I noticed that your legs just got very bouncy and very shaky. And her, you know, another girl in the group said, why would you have interrupted her like that? Like, who cares that her legs are shaking? And so, and so I, why did you, hmm? why did you, why did I, because there was material that she was starting to move into in her verbal processing that was telling me that her nervous system was revving up into some sort of a fight or flight state. Um, and that if we can like hang with it in a certain way, she might be able to grow into being able to talk about the difficult material without getting so dysregulated, you know? And so it's an opportunity for to collaborate with a client who's doing that on, okay, do we want to take this moment and just really feel into your legs shaking and see like, oh, you know, it's okay. Let me keep talking about it. I can sort of keep my, my triggered response at this state that is manageable right now. Or do we really need to kind of dial back and dial down a little bit and do some regulation and let the legs calm back down before we continue processing what's going on? So that's how someone grows in their trauma recovery is that the material that was once extremely triggering, maybe too triggering to even name or talk about, um, gets to get neutralized somewhat so that the triggers don't send people in a state of, into states of dysregulation that leads them to seek feeling better, you know, and we know that seeking feeling better can look a lot of different ways. Escape, relief. An escape, or relief, a numbing, which often leads to addictions and eating disorders and self-harm. And So if we go back to that experience and we think about like the interpersonal process that was going on, there was the woman who was starting to tell the story and whose body nervous system was manifesting a energy of a trauma response showing up in the bouncing and your nervous system cued into that and you paused in an effort to bring consciousness to the present unfolding of what was happening in the body and this other person became really angry because the pause was interfering with the flow of the story. And there was this sense that the pause itself was controlling or insulting or interfering. It was, it was in a moment of her maybe for the first time verbalizing really severe sexual abuse that had occurred years prior. And so I think that to the other woman who got very angry with me, the pause was that I was shutting her down. And I think that it was some of her own work around being told this, her story doesn't matter. Or we're not going to talk about that. Um, because that is one of the things with trauma that's most harmful, right? Is that process of it didn't happen, don't speak it. And so then it becomes lodged in some kind of hidden place. It becomes lodged and... Um, then any subtle or overt reminder of the event kicks our body into needing to fight it off or get away or freeze or dissociate from it. And that's the cycle of addiction. You know? And I use addiction really broad. Um, I listened to the other woman who was angry with me. I allowed her, let her say all of that and, and showed her appreciation and gratitude and really congratulated her on using her voice. And we kind of did a little work with her there for a moment. And then I 
came back to the other woman and I said, well, what was it like for you? <laughs> you know, what was it like for you that I paused you? And she said, that's the most helpful thing anyone's ever done for me when I talk about this stuff. Because I think that therapy can or historically has been about storytelling. The storytelling can be healing as well. And it can be done in a way that is absolutely therapeutic. I don't want to like hate on that. But if there aren't pauses to reflect on how it's impacting the body and how it's impacting the nervous system and how that might be a pattern that's leading you to then make decisions later to not feel so crappy. <laughs> and you're just kind of telling the story in this uh, storytelling narration sort of way. There's, there's not as much potential to heal. There's not as much potential for true behavior change. The experience for that woman at that time was that it was very helpful and that she now had the consciousness and the awareness to know, oh, my leg shaking that happens is a deep connection to my like, sensory motor system, my nervous system that's really deeply uncomfortable. Huh. <laughs> I feel this comfortable all of the time. You know, no wonder I'm always reaching for the bottle. No wonder I'm always flying off the handle with people. Um, and that maybe if I pause a little bit more often and give myself an opportunity for the shaking to discharge itself or to regulate itself, I get these little moments of relief within there too. And then the moments of relief can become longer. Yeah, so she was really grateful for the experience of someone pausing in a way that... <clears throat> didn't just perpetuate the story as though the story of her past self was more important than her present self. Mm -hmm. And how many times do you think she's ran that story, if not verbally, you know, in her own mind? She's played that story out over and over and over and over. And so why not let's just try to look at it and to, to see it in the present moment, you know, what it's actually doing for us right now. And so to kind of circle back to um, the trainings that I give, it's, it's helping um, other types of facilitators to become aware of what some of those subtle signs and symptoms are, and then how to use their own nervous system um, in alignment with the information that they've learned to um, discharge, to help a client discharge, to help a client regulate, um, you know, to be in a room and to, to feel that if one person's dysregulation is rising, likely others are as well. And so to how to, how to hold a room that's in that state or moving towards that state. Sensory motor just gave me, you know, a, a language and a container to be able to do that. And then I was able to come in and layer in some of the yoga stuff to do so as well. And so that's what I think passing that information forward just feels really important to me. And working in those group environments, you know, it has absolutely been an influence of inner sense healing arts collective. It's like, I saw so much healing happen just in the community of the women who would end up in these residential centers for a period of time. You know, if they're there for a few weeks or several months or a year, the healing that happens from being with other women that are in similar situations and getting to have that space where they say like, man, today is rough. Like I had a really rough therapy session or like my depression is just really bad right now. Um, had this whole other healing component to it that isn't necessarily um, contained within a theory or contained within a treatment approach. And so the cl 
clients at that residential center would be discharging and kind of naming that, you know, like, oh, it's been amazing to be able to spend these last few weeks with all of you. And I don't know what I'm going to do when I don't have these spaces or even to me individually, like, where do I go to practice yoga in this like kind of more sensitive way with someone who understands and, you know, outside of just a couple teachers here and there, I was like, I don't know. Because I knew in my community, it, there weren't many places I, that I felt confident to say, oh, yeah, go to this place. Like, I know all of the teachers there are informed, you know, at least on what might be showing up. Um, and so I wanted to create that. I wanted to create the places where people can go and the teachers are informed and create the places where, you know, you, you shouldn't have to be in residential treatment to have access to sitting and healing and community, you know, or being able to have a space where you feel safe to be vulnerable or feel brave enough to be vulnerable. Like we can create those spaces outside of residential centers, but oftentimes people only get it when they're in group therapy or when they're in residential treatment centers. And so my vision for Innersense was that it would all sort of come together in a more public space that you could drop into as needed. You talked about like you almost prescribing yoga poses for either up regulating or down regulating so that would be interesting to kind of like break that down a little bit but also with the shaking of the foot or the leg um can you kind of walk us through that Mm -hmm. you know with my trainings and my experiences has become quite intuitive um as a as a lot of work my work feels so sometimes I'm really challenged when to be asked like well the how and the why um, because my body is my tool, I'm sort of, I guess, in a way, intercepting, um, the nervous system responses as they show up and understanding that what my system needs with that. Right. So I might intercept that shaking foot. I might see it, you know, with my eyes, but then intercept in my own body, what that sort of, if the foot is shaking, what the, the revving engine deep within might be feeling like, and you know, there's a choice point there with the, with the shaking foot. And especially in context of the conversation that I was having with a survivor of sexual assault, um, where is this client at within their course of treatment? And do we let that foot shake until it discharges itself, which might mean, um, heightening the experience for them, or do we work on, seeing it being with it and regulating through some of the other senses or through the social engagement system. Um, So for someone who is in a course of treatment that, you know, they don't have any really active or high risk symptoms, they're not out in between sessions really struggling with um, harming themselves in a myriad of ways. They're really, you know, kind of in a space where they can handle feeling bigger, tougher emotions we might let that foot shake and then really be with what is that foot saying it wanted to do? What did that foot want to do at that time when that shaking got planted in there, you know, and it may have wanted to kick the shit out of somebody. And so I might ask them if they feel okay to kick, let's kick. And we'll, we might sit on the couch and kick a bunch of times or stand up and just take some big kicks. That foot might feel like it wanted to run and get away. And so we can sort of facilitate almost like, a little bit of a running action. You can even just sit and kind of like run with your feet that can help the nervous system discharge. 
but you know, that's going to bring the experience a little bit more online. So that has to be done in a really, um, slow and conscious way. I do not suggest trying that like right off with a client. Um, you really have to have an understanding of can this person now re-regulate within the session that you're in and go out in a safe way and be back out in the world. Not everyone is ready for that. So for the folks who aren't quite, um, feeling like they can re-regulate in a, in a way that feels safe to walk back out and be on their own for the following week. Um, you know, there's moments where stuff might show up and their body might show signs of dysregulation that we need to just take a pause. You know, it's looking like this material is going to be really heavy for you. Um, and I, you know, I really want to name that this experience for you seems like, um, important information to get to, you know, and to really name that I'm right here with it and I don't want to not hear it. I want to hear it. We are going to get to it. But I also think that in this moment, it's really important for the body to know that it can make itself feel better. You know, so I want to hear that story. One day we'll get there. But let's try this. Let's see what happens if you, um, you know, enjoy some of the essential oils. Let's see what happens here if you, um, you know, your foot might want to circle or stretch a little bit. You might titrate the movement down to something that's a little bit more calming. Um, oh, look, there's a bird in the tree right outside of the window. What happens if you take a peek at the bird in the tree? You know, or social engagement system. You know, we could eventually totally switch to, I love that scarf that you have on. I love that shade of red. It's so vibrant. Where do you get that? Oh, you got it at... It was a gift from my sister. It was a gift from your sister. That's sweet. She must really like have really good style to know to pick that out. <laughs> so an example of how to bring somebody into just more social engagement, which can for some feel a lot more regulating um, because the depth of the work, it's, it's not as deep and as dark. You know? So, you know, that's kind of the route with social engagement system kind of being that, um, engaging in the space between rather than so much the space within the client, which is the foot or the memory or the <clears throat> sensation engaging in the space of mind shared experience. Yeah. And, and a little lighter, you know, I do spend time, you know, I think it's important in sessions to spend time on things like if they're saying like, Oh gosh, I really just zoned out all weekend and watch Netflix sweet, what'd you watch? <laughs> like, I want to know, you know, what, A, because I think it's important to get to know your client and what kind of material are they taking in? Like, are they watching all of the like really dark stuff all the time? Or are they really into like parks and rec and, you know, really know how to use media to kind of lighten up as well. So that's another assessment tool that I use actually is like, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Um, but it's also information for social engagement, you know, like, Oh, have you watched that season of blah, blah, blah yet? And to kind of connect in a way that's more just people um, and not therapist client can help to be regulating as well. I have this memory of a conversation that we had, and I just loved the story that you told. It was micro movement. Like you said, and you noticed it, you intercepted, like, oh, finger moving. You somehow that found its way within to, to come into your attention. And you were able to connect to the finger. Um, do you remember that story? I think it was. Um, I just am ready for another storytelling session. It may have been. <laughs> wasn't it a woman grasping her arm? 
squeezing her arm. Yes, it was. And I, I think that it was, because I think, I'm pretty sure when I told you it had just happened. <laughs> so it was all very clear. But if I'm remembering correctly, it was a, a trauma processing session and a woman was starting to touch into some material of um, incestual, incest, incest abuse. Um, and I just noticed that over the course of a few moments, the she had her arms crossed in front of her and that her hand on her bicep was starting to squeeze like a little bit more firmly, which, you know, I do remember she had on a short sleeve and you could see the marks that her fingers were starting to leave in her upper arm. Um, and so, yeah, I just sort of saw it, neurocepted it, paused, asked her to move really, you know, back away a little bit from the, the story that she was heading towards. And I think all I said, sometimes the stuff is so simple, because I think all I said is, oh, I noticed that you really started to squeeze your arm. And then when she, like, when I said that, she noticed it and let up of the squeeze. And I said, oh, you let up of the squeeze once you noticed it. What was that like? What does that feel like? What happened? And she goes, I think she said something like, I feel like I can actually do this. Meaning the trauma treatment. You know, and so when you think about all that I did, really, from the outside, was I just named what she was doing. That to me looked as if, um, you know, this woman was a self-harmer and so looked as if maybe as the very early beginning stages that would later that day or at some point lead her to, to cut. So all I did was name it and then she released it. And in that release of her fingers gripping her arm, you know, you can try it yourself, like grip really hard and then release and kind of feel like that little bit of a shift, that little bit of a relief told her in that moment that there are ways to get through to get past the addiction to the hurting herself when the difficult material is. She had a moment of consciousness and relief. It was so simple. She didn't have to work really hard. She became conscious, let go, and experienced relief and felt like maybe there was hope that she could do it. Yeah. It could do it without it needing to be in the deep, dark trenches all of the time. You know, I always, when I'm like really kind of psychoeducating and, and working on getting the buy-in on these methods um, with clients, it's like, you can actually do a lot of really good work without ever telling me what happened. I've worked with so many people that I never know what their trauma story is. I know that there's some shit that went down and that, you know, there's been some really dark parts of their past, but I don't know the details of it um, or even what happened. And that we can work so, you know, in the present moment with just the dysregulation that's occurring right now and how to regulate that little bits at a time that people start to find relief because you know we know that when you're looking to find relief but you don't have an outlet for relief you're doing something that is creating more suffering right i was just thinking about this um doctor dr sumrock he was like the center of addiction studies at um, university of tennessee um so his one of one of the things that he said that reminded me of what you were saying earlier is that <clears throat> addiction is actually ritualized compulsive comfort seeking. Yes. I talk about, I didn't know his name. Yeah. I talk about that in the trauma training that I give. Yeah. It makes so much sense to me that the experience in this example that you just shared of relief being such a source of hope. I don't have to continue this trajectory towards self-harm. There's a way to com to experience comfort and release. 
Mm-hmm. By simply, like in this case, literally letting up on myself a little bit. <laughs> she literally like let up on her trip a little bit and felt slightly better in her arm and in her nervous system in that moment and went, oh, there's a route here. Mm-hmm. And she was in relationship with someone who was tracking bringing consciousness to what she was doing in the present moment and valuing that as much as, or even more like you're saying, than the story. The brain just wants to get to the story. The catharsis. It thinks there could be catharsis in telling, but for many stories, they're stuck. There's no release because the only avenue of release is somehow this nervous system access point of consciousness about leg moving or arm gripping or yeah, I'm not breathing right now at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even, you know, as you kind of take on that, I just saw you do it, you know, and your eyes got very big and very intense. And that's, that's really good work that you can do with people as well is to track their, the difference in their eyes. Like are their eyes starting to orient and to dart around the room? Um, in a way that might be informing you that they are looking for an escape route, even though, you know, intellectually they would never say that or never think that they need that. Their body is telling a different story. Or are their eyes getting very wide and very piercing and very large, you know? And I wonder if in this moment or in the moments out in life, in the moments where you're meeting with your boss and she's grinding your last nerve, what happens if you just soften your eyes? Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then doing like experiments right there to like make your eyes get really, really big and really like really feel what that does inside and to your stress response. And then to just soften your eyes mm-hmm. and feel what happens to your stress response <laughs> and back and forth and back and forth until they know, oh, I can use this in the moments where my kids are screaming and I can't get in control of them. And You know, what if I just take a slight softening in my own being with my eyes or the tone of my voice, you know, watching clients, observing clients. And as they start to move towards their stressful information, stressful material, they often start to talk a lot faster or talk a lot. I have one client that will start to talk so loud, (laughs) like to the point where sometimes I'm like, oh gosh. So they start to talk very, very loud and very, very fast. And I'll just pause and say, huh, I noticed that your voice in your um, speed has, and your prosody has gotten very fast and very loud. Does this happen when you're at home too and feeling stressed? Well, yeah. Like, I don't even notice it. Like, this is just what I do. Okay. I wonder what would happen if we, for a moment, just experiment with talking. I want you to tell me exactly what you were going to tell me, but I want you to say it really slow <laughs> and a little softer. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it's often which like, is, oh. Which is so, that reminds me so much of a yoga practice. Yeah. Right? Because you're <laughs> going to do the exact same pose, but you're going to soften into it. Yeah. Why are you, ha- why do you have so much tension in your shoulders right yeah. now? Let that go. Let that why go. is your face getting all Why is your jaw up? clenched? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In this, in this position, soften and, and recognizing the beauty of the, of the fact that those conditionings, we can let go. We can release that arm. Mm. We can become conscious and soften our face or slower voice. Mm. It's a beautiful way of playing. Like I can actually play with 
degree of tension or the pacing or the softening. It turns on like that witness part, that Mm -hmm. curious part of, oh, I wonder what would happen if I let go. Oh, and I can. Mm -hmm. I don't have to stick with the conditioned response or the survival response that's been pretty fixed for a while. That's why I personally love teaching vinyasa yoga in particularly, because for me, you know, I, my public classes, you know, if you're just stopping in practice with me in a more of a studio space. I love your classes so much. (laughs) Everyone should go to your classes. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Um, They are absolutely trauma aware and trauma informed but does that mean that they're really slow and gentle and easy no they're kind of (laughs) hard um they're a little harder because they're strong we move slow we move strong we move through transitions that are going to kind of like um inquire your mind in a different way than just the forward motion that we live in every day um but i love vinyasa yoga in particular because to me a good vinyasa class follows that bell curve of the nervous system, the stress response, in that it goes kind of from baseline, you know, which in a yoga class looks like sitting and just breathing and being still and feeling what you feel like and checking in to a series of often some version of a sun salutation, some version of some standing warrior type of poses and the movements that happen in between to get from pose to pose that take strength and focus. And so at that time, you know, your nervous system is almost like ramping up a little bit to move you through this. Your heart's going to be beating a little bit faster. When I'm facilitating, my voice becomes that strength. Like I get a lot stronger in how I'm talking to people and how I'm giving cues because I want to reflect the strength that their body needs to be taking on at this time. And then the last third of the class or more is then riding that nervous system back down to baseline, you know, coming down and doing some work and seated, doing some work on the floor until, you know, we end in a final resting pose to drop deeply inward. A couple months ago, a friend came to a class and she's like, you're so funny as a yoga teacher. She's like, cause when we start, you're just like so soft and sweet. And then like about a half hour in, you're kind of like a drill sergeant. And then you're like singing to us at the end and you're so soft again. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, mimicking, you know, what the nervous system can do. It just kind of like shakes us up in a way that then lets us, hopefully by the end, if we're guided, you know, towards a nice soft landing, um, to then dive into that beautiful depth of our okayness, the beautiful depth of our untouchedness by stress. We sometimes do have to shake things up and shake it out and discharge it. And I think that a good vinyasa class can do that. And then you can really lay in your essence, like really just lay back and soak in that kind of inner world, that inner vibration of light, love, consciousness, divinity, peace. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you for making this podcast. to Rachel Sharon for bringing me into her space that is peaceful and full of light. For more information about Rachel, you can go to somawisechicago.com 
innersensehealingarts.org or discoverbreathe.com. Thank you to the Embodied Education Institute of Chicago for supporting this podcast. Thank you to Josie Rothwell for the opening music and Aaron Kate Dunnick for the closing music. And thank you to our listener. I'm Kim Rothwell, and I'm welcoming you to the return to embodiment. <laughs>